A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can drive change or build an empire. We need a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can drive change or build an empire. Because old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. This new year, we need a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's still ours to win. Start different at GoDaddy.com. Looking to catch up on the latest Star Wars books? Featuring sound effects and music directly from the movies, Star Wars audiobooks are the definitive listening experience. Discover Thrawn's origins within the Chiss Ascendancy in the first title in an epic new Star Wars trilogy, beginning with Star Wars Thrawn Ascendancy. Written by best-selling author Timothy Zahn and read by Mark Thompson, Star Wars Thrawn Ascendancy is on sale now wherever audiobooks are sold. This is Andy Gutierrez from StarWars.com, and you are listening to Coffee with Kenobi with Dan Z. This is the podcast you're looking for. This is James Arnold Taylor, and you're listening to Coffee with Kenobi. Hmm, I have a good feeling about this. Hello, friends, and welcome to Coffee with Kenobi. We are your spoiler-free place for Star Wars discussion, analysis, and rhetoric. I'm your host, Dan Z, drinking One Nation coffee out of my white and black Lucasfilm coffee mug. Thrilled to talk Star Wars with each and every one of you. On today's show, we are going to play the audio from my panel at Force Fest a couple of weeks ago. It was about the literary language of Star Wars. It's me going over basic literary terms, applying them to Star Wars, talking about what literature actually is, and if we can even apply that term to the word Star Wars. There are some familiar faces and guests on the show as well that you will recognize from years of Coffee with Kenobi, and it is my pleasure to share it with each and every one of you. This is, by the way, show number 359 of Coffee with Kenobi, and we are also going to have Tom on to share the latest Star Wars news. So pull up a chair, grab your favorite coffee mug, and let's have some coffee with Kenobi. Here we are. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Star Wars, a literary language here at the Forced Fest, the amazing virtual Star Wars convention that is going so well so far. I've been so impressed with the panels with the generous contributions, with the amazing feedback from people watching these. It's been it's been really rewarding. I've I know and believe in my heart that Star Wars at its core has a wonderful, beautiful fan community. And that to me shows up even more beautifully because we're making money, or not making money, we are raising money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Your donation will directly fund wishes for critically ill children. You can donate to the link in the chat or GetVokey will match 33% of all donations through the GetVokey V-Coin. Just click on the blue diamond to get started. And get this, everybody. I'm sure you're well aware of this, but yesterday we have done so well. We've raised $1,940 as of midnight last night. So this is for Make-A-Wish Greater LA area. All the amazing children that 
deserve something really special. And you are able to give that to them through your love of Star Wars, which I think is awesome. Uh, I will have to uh, introduce myself. Uh, John, thank you so much for pointing out. The link is again on the chat. So if you are interested in donating to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, that is where you can do it. So your passion, your love for Star Wars and for this community can directly benefit these children. Amazing. So I am Dan Z. I am the host of Coffee with Kenobi. I am also a writer for StarWars.com and IGN. And I also am the writer, co-writer of the Star Wars book coming out by DK on October 20th. I wrote that book alongside Pablo Hidalgo and Cole Horton. It's going to be so exciting to share that with each and every one of you. And really, it's sort of a nice little bridge because I can't say a lot about the book. But what I can tell you is that it certainly relates to the topic for today, Star Wars, a literary language. So what does that mean exactly, a literary language? Because I feel like the term literature gets thrown around a lot. And I understand that. I respect that. But literature at its core is really, look at this, get some money already. I love it. I love it. Share it out for more. See, we've got we've got some, some coin coming in already, a beautiful thing. V-Coin, I'm going to have to get used to saying that. I've been hearing it all weekend, again, from all these amazing panels. Let's get back to what literature is. Literature at its essence is language. Beautiful, powerful, poignant language. So, there may be great books out there that we love that move us, that have powerful themes and messages and speak to us on many different levels. All true. However, that doesn't mean that it's literature. And that, again, is not necessarily a negative thing. Literature is a different sort of an art form. The best example of literature that I can think of, period, would be The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yes, it's a great story. Yes, it's got very compelling characters, but the language is beautiful. So how does that translate to Star Wars, which is a literary language? Now, when I say it through this lens, I'm talking about the films and self. Language in film is not just dialogue. It is the performances. It is the lighting. It is the music. It is the camera angles. It is the way that the stories move us and speak to us. That is what literature is from the lens of cinema. And obviously, Star Wars has 11 films. Each of them speak to us in very different ways. It's good to see everybody popping up here. I love it. Daniel, good to see you, buddy. Dora is here. Jacob, Catherine, Amber, Din, Frank, my buddy Jared, and John, of course, is here overseeing things and helping things to run smoothly. So literature, basically, that's what that is. So how does that relate to Star Wars? As, as some of you know, I use Star Wars in my classroom. I am a high school English teacher. I teach British literature. I teach composition. And I teach mythology. Now, mythology is where Star Wars shows up the most. Of course, we certainly talk about it in other things. But really, mythology is the best place because Star Wars is a modern mythology. Modern mythology is key because mythology, by definition, is much more complex than people realize. It covers a millennia. Obviously, that is impossible for Star Wars or any modern story to do. But what does mythology do? Why is it a modern mythology? Adora says she wishes she had Star Wars in her class. She went to school. All my classes were boring. I would have been a fan a lot longer. Well, Dora, that's cool. And, and I'm guessing, and I'm hoping that 
while there were classes that were boring, there were still little seeds that were planted there that shown you maybe where Star Wars gets some of the ideas that inspired George Lucas to create this amazing mythology, this modern mythology. And one of the things, of course, is heroes. Yes, we know about the hero's journey. And Joseph Campbell and, and Din did a beautiful job in his panel yesterday talking about that and really going out into the hero with a thousand faces that Campbellian work that analyzes what a hero goes through and what the journey is. And the hero's journey goes through a lot of things. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it here, but basically it involves a hero who has to learn to get out of his own way. He or she must learn to traverse the challenges both outside and inwardly. And often the inward challenges are much more tricky than that. Uh, Jared learned that binomial math is witchcraft. And I, Jared, you might be right about that. Apologies if my dog is barking from a galaxy not so far away. That's probably going to happen a few times during this little broadcast here. But you've got characters that learn and fight outside conflicts, internal conflicts, which to me are the most compelling. And then they meet friends along the way. They lose someone special to them. They lose an ideal and gain something new, a new way, a new appreciation for seeing the world. And when they return, they're completely different from where they were before. I think this relates to Luke uh, most classically. It certainly relates to Ray. Anakin, I think, is a little more tricky to put him in that spotlight because he does not follow the conventional hero's journey. He follows his own journey and his own compelling journey. And there are certainly aspects of it that meet that. But it would take a lot more convincing and reflection for me to say that Anakin falls that hero's journey. He doesn't have to, by the way. Again, just like with literature, you can follow your own path as a hero. And you can have an unconventional hero's journey. Solo, Han Solo is certainly a great example of that. Because he is he is certainly an anti-hero or a rogue. And then eventually life happens and he stops saying no. And he starts saying yes. And once he starts saying yes, things open up for him. Certainly, he benefits the galaxy in a lot of different areas. Now, besides heroes, you've got what to me are the most compelling. That would be the themes. The themes in Star Wars. Themes are a very powerful elements of literature and looking at stories and what moves us in stories. Themes are the lessons or the morals or what the author is trying to tell you about the subject of the story. That would be what a theme is in essence. So yes, they're lessons. Sometimes they're deliberate. Sometimes George Lucas or Ryan Johnson or J.J. Abrams or whomever is trying to convey something to you about the subject, about the character, about what it means to be human, about what it means to make mistakes. A powerful theme in The Last Jedi and really in The Empire Strikes Back as well is that failure is a great way to learn. Now, a lot of people are scared of that. And I wrote about this on for over the summer for StarWars.com. But when you have failure, and the reason failure is such a hard thing for people is people don't like to fail. They don't want to mess up. It's scary. It makes them feel like they're less than instead of using it as a building block. And I'll, I won't use a ton of sports metaphors here, but what I will say is look at baseball. If you go up to bat 10 times and you only hit three that's, you know, 30% or 300. That gets you in the Hall of Fame. So failing seven out of 10 times gets you in the Hall of Fame. I think that's a nice metaphor because we are not perfect. 
Luke Skywalker is not perfect. He makes a lot of mistakes. Ray makes her share of mistakes, although I think Luke makes quite a few more personally. And those things build the character. They build the structure of the character. They build the structure of the story. They help us to see what we need from our heroes and what what is quite often what we learn from them is how do I succeed? How do I find my place? How do I take adversity or challenges and make myself better and make myself stronger and help benefit the world, my town, my city, my state, my planet, the galaxy? How do I do that? What is it about that that compels us, that brings us back? Because these stories, Joseph Campbell very much believed that, was a, that we follow a Jungian ar- archetype, which means that there's something collective about these stories that speaks to us, that resonates with us, that, that does something to us that a lot of things don't. There are, as I said at the top of this, there's a lot of great shows out there. There's a lot of great books. There's a lot of great series on Netflix and Disney Plus and Amazon Prime and Hulu and on and on and on. But there are certain ones that resonate and last for a really, really long time. And I think Star Wars is a great example of that, especially when you consider that we live in a culture where things are very immediate, very instant, but they disappear. They dissipate. Over time, they don't have the same gravitas or weight because something comes in and replaces it. Star Wars is still leading the way in that direction. And Din points out the greatest teacher of failure is that scene was literature to me. And I agree. It very much is. I've used it frequently since 2017 to help people understand. So often I have students that will say, you know, I would like to write or I don't like to write, but I want to get a bad grade. I don't want to do poorly. I don't want to mess up or I don't want people to think I'm not doing well or that I'm not smart. Well, that's none of those things are true. No one thinks that. Certainly, I don't think that. What what helps is recognizing that it's okay not to be perfect right away. I mean, I can promise you the first time I ever taught anything, which by the way, was a comparison of Anakin Skywalker to Hamlet was the first thing I ever taught. And it was exciting and I loved it. But I'm sure if I watched a video of that today, I would pretty much only notice the things that I should have done better or I could have done differently. But that is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's something that Luke has to realize. Uh, and sometimes that hubris gets in the way too, doesn't it? I mean, we certainly see that in The Empire Strikes Back where he is thinking, you know, I got to help my friends. Yoda, thank you. Thank you for the root leaf stew. Thanks for everything else. Thanks for letting that snake bite me, but I've got to go. I've got to go confront Darth Vader. I've got to save my friends. In and of itself, not a bad thing. It's a great thing. You know, he cares about people. But he's also very much battling the internal power of his ego and the strength of who he is inside. Anakin has similar foibles, which I think is really, really cool. And that's one thing that's also appealed to me about Rey. Rey is confident in her abilities in the Force, but she's more struggling with her identity and what it means to her to be herself, to find her place in this world. That is her struggle. Her struggle is not with power. Her struggle is with her power within and being okay with who she is. And certainly as the story progresses, it takes on different aspects of that. 
but it's still at its core reflects her journey, her heroism, and what the director and what the writers are trying to convey to us. Being a hero, being yourself, making mistakes, getting stronger because of those mistakes, all powerful aspects of literature. As I'm going along, if you want to jump in and talk about this, feel free to. I'm happy to address any comments, questions that you have, and make this part of the conversation. This is a very organic thing here on Get Vocal. The Force Fest does a lot of wonderful things. Again, we are raising money for the Make-A-Wish Greater Los Angeles area. So please, please contribute. Our goal is to get to 3,000. I really believe because of the generosity of this community that we can make that happen. It only happens through you, through your compassion, and through your generosity, which you show all the time to me. And John just points up here, and I'll, and I'll happily read it again. We are raising money for the Make-A-Wish Greater LA. Your donation will direct funds directly fund wishes for critically ill children. You can donate here with no matching donation, or Get Vocal will match 33% of all donations made through Get Vocal VCoin. Just click on the blue diamond to get started. And it's right there at the bottom, right next to where you make a comment for me or for any panel host. Click that there. Boom. We got to make that happen. And again, we will make that goal to help out those amazing children and their families. So we've got more folks who've come in to join us. Hello, everyone. It's so great to see you. What is it that drew you to this panel about Star Wars literary language? Was it the hero's journey? Was it to learn more about mythology? Was it to talk about the themes? Themes are, again, a very important part. And I've written a lot about different themes in Star Wars. There are so many of them. It's really pretty impressive, to honestly, because, and I think the Clone Wars does this really well. I think Rebels does it maybe as well as anything, showing us what it means to be human and what it means to make mistakes, what it means to find family. I mean, obviously, family is a huge part of Star Wars, not only a biological family, but a family that you meet through other ways, just through life, through friendship, through challenges, through adversity. And I think those are just as important, if not no more, especially in the world that we live in now. I love it. I see things like that all the time as an educator. People that become family because they have things in common. And that's an amazing part of Star Wars. Luke Leahan, great example. Finn Poe and Ray, great example. Anakin, Obi-Wan, great example. They're all there. Another important aspect of literature is having a mentor or someone who structurally works in the plot to get the hero from point A to point B. And not necessarily always in the smoothest fashion possible. In fact, if it's smooth, then there's not really a lot of growth. What I try to explain to students is that the challenges build the character. If you're going to exercise, if you're going into an exercise and your muscles aren't sore or stiff after, then you probably need to rethink how you're exercising because that resistance builds adversity. And that's another reason why I like that the resistance is called the resistance because they have to struggle. They have to experience sacrifice and challenges to save and benefit the galaxy. And, and honestly, if I think about General Leia from that perspective, it doesn't surprise me that she would pick this. And I learned a lot when I was writing the Star Wars book, but one of the things I really learned uh, was how much I really, truly appreciate Leia. And she is a literary force unto herself because she finds herself very directly 
in a unique situation where she's going to help people, but not fight the fights for them. She has to trust. That's a big parent thing. That's a big leader thing. And it's a really great example. Catherine says, can you talk more about why movies are literature? I think a lot of folks look down on these kind of movies as somehow less than the great books. And it would be great to understand why they are literature as much as period dramas are. Catherine, that is an excellent question. I'm happy to address that. Yes. Look at that, Han Solo. Look at that. We've got some more coming in. Beautiful. Keep them coming. Thank you, Jared and Din. That is fantastic. These amazing children and their families are benefiting because of your generosity and kindness. So thank you. Catherine, uh, literature means basically language and how language is used. And in cinema, language is not only what is said and how it is said with the actors in the script, but the lighting, but the music of John Williams but the way the camera treats the subjects, the way the characters move, the way the characters interact, the messages and the themes that are portrayed in the story. So the great books are literature and Star Wars is literature, but they're very, very different kinds of literature. They're all kind of different subsects and different genres. So is Return of the Jedi literature like Huckleberry Finn is or The Great Gatsby? No, it's not because it's a different thing. It's it uses language differently. And it's really hard to make a film that's literature through that context because they're different things. You have to weigh them in different fashions. So yes, there might be people that are like, well, movies aren't as great as books and blah, blah, blah. I mean, like I teach literature. I love them both, but for very, very different reasons. The literature of Star Wars and what I've used in my classroom for Star Wars is how these stories move us, how they speak to us, how they're able to reinvent themselves over and over again and reach different generations. I've ne- We've now seen four different generations who have experienced Star Wars. And I feel very empowered by that. I know how I felt as a kid. I know how I felt about it as a teenager. I know how I felt about it as a single man. And I know how I feel about it as a husband with three boys. Everything is different. Like my, old, my oldest is 21. My youngest is seven. My oldest, Peyton C. Star Wars, very, very differently than Mason does, but they all, it all speaks to them in different ways. To me, that's literature. Literature reinvents itself. Hello, Eric. Good to see you, man. To me, literature reinvents itself all the time based on the state of the world, the state of the person that's coming to look at it and how that moves and shapes us. And I hope that answers that question for you, Catherine, uh, because it's a really good one. And it is, it's a really, really challenging one, which I welcome. I like To me, the power of literature also is that it makes us think. I believe that Star Wars has made us think a lot. I mean, look at how many amazing podcasts there are and websites and blogs and YouTube channels and fan conventions. And the fact that we can go to Star Wars Celebration and we can have these amazing, powerful conversations about Star Wars and how it moves us, shapes us, binds our galaxies together, binds our fandom together. Those are all powerful aspects of Star Wars and is proof to me that it is in fact a literary language as Eric just points out so gracefully. And Eric is a a really, really gifted person discussing this as well. It's the power of storytelling, the power of storytelling to move us. Yes, it has to entertain us. But by the way, keep in mind that when the great stories from thousands of years ago were told and created, you have to remember that the reason they were extra entertaining the reason that we still have them today and that they still move us and inspire us like Beowulf, like the Iliad, like the Odyssey is because it wasn't able to be written down because we were, that wasn't a possibility, right? 
that kind of technology hadn't happened yet. So what do you do with that? You have to have people that tell a story and tell it so compellingly that you're educating and that you're entertaining. That's what a good story does too. It continues to last and last and last. And if you don't, and the reason it's so important, and this is what I tell my students. In fact, I just told them last week. The reason these stories mean so much and speak to us so highly and so powerfully is because they tell a lesson or a message. And what I tell my students is if you don't think it's important to pass on your culture and your values, your values and your beliefs, then I want you to go home. Or I say, hey, get out your phones now. Delete all your social media accounts for the rest of time. Well, they'll never do that, will they? They're not going to do that because they are passing on their mythology. They're passing on their stories, whether, you know, they're good, bad, or different, trivial, important. That's all sort of depends on their point of view, doesn't it? But it's something that they are passing on to us. And that means something. It means something. We care about it. So you make it compelling. You put your values in there because that's the only way you can pass them on. They can really stand the test of time. I mean, will everybody read a, a concise history of uh, how we got our independence from Great Britain? Maybe not. But how many people have seen Hamilton, right? It's Hamilton is so powerful because it's amazingly told. It's beautifully told. It's It, it enraptures us. And those messages and those themes are right there because it's that's how you tell a good story. That's what George Lucas did too. Mary says, hi, Dan. Mary, good to see you. Mary says, literature and the books that keep coming out propel the story and mythology of stars. Absolutely. And that's what's great. Now we know that it's 25,000 years of storytelling, which is what Kathleen Kennedy talked about last week via the Hollywood Reporter and other, and other newsworthy websites. They keep the story that's relevant no matter when it's told. Hamlet is still relevant. It was it was written you know hundreds of years ago, but it's still relevant today because of how it speaks to us. Then you take the Star Wars a story that's you know over 40 years old and what does it do it 43 years old now it continues to inspire and enrapture us and it it's compelling and relevant because it keeps adding more and more what I, one thing that i really like that star wars does that to me is going to ensure that it stands the test of time like all great literature does is that yes it's timeless like obi mike says thank you brother but it also doesn't use gimmicks or tricks uh, there are a lot of stories out there that are powerful in different ways, but they their main way to keep you hooked is through tricks and gimmicks and surprises and cliffhangers and connections that may be forced. But I feel like Star Wars doesn't really do that, although we can certainly debate Ray being a Palpatine as far as if it does it there or not. Not a fan of that, but you know we could talk about that another time, certainly. Karen, thank you so much for your contribution. That is so great. Again, we're, our goal is 3,000. I really feel like it's going to happen because of your kindness and your generosity and your love of stars. How cool is that? You're able to give back to the Make-A-Wish Foundation because of that, and so I can't thank you enough. John says, we are close. We are close. I feel like we're going to get it by the time we're done here tonight. I just believe that. It's going to be really, really good. So that's another way that literature is able to compel and drive us and make things happen. So what is it that you want to talk about when it comes to literature? We've talked about characters. We've talked about themes. We've talked about the timeless nature of storytelling and why it speaks to us for, the, for that Jungian archetype that we believe connects us all together. And think about the fact that when stories were first being told, or even when Greek mythology was being told, it was told in different regions of Greece, and it was the same characters. But 
the other part of it is that while they weren't connected and they had no way of communicating with each other, they had similar ideas. Different Zeus acted different ways. There were different little things that would happen. But overall, they were connected. And that's that Jungian archetype that Joseph Campbell subscribed to, which is powerful. Uh, Joel, thank you, Joel, says, Dan is not bad on his take on Star Wars and storytelling. I agree with much of what he is saying, and he's been a part of this community for a long time. Well, thanks, Joel. I appreciate that, man. And honestly, I would love, love, love to hear uh, the parts that you're not, you don't agree with as much, or maybe that's just the way you're phrasing. Because to me, that's great. Like that's part of the, the beauty of conversation and rhetoric. Like I love that. I love hearing different points of view. To me, that makes me stronger and smarter. And Dan, you are very kind. I think you bring out the best in people to you, brother. But thank you so much. It's very gracious of you. So. Oh, I love it. And we've got more contributions too. So great. I love it. I love it. Again, we're getting so close to that goal to help the greater Los Angeles areas make a wish foundation. Amazing. So you've got characters, you've got themes, you've got points of view, you've got an ability to tell a story that lasts and lasts because people subscribe to it. They like the characters. They like the advancement of the story in the myth itself. Myth means a lot of different things. And what I learned recently is that myth is something that scholars have debated for, for hundreds of years. So there's not even necessarily a set definition of myth that scholars will agree with because for one thing, myth lasts for millennia. It is timeless. It is something that entertains us. And it also tells things that aren't necessarily true. We know Star Wars isn't true, but we do know that there are aspects of it that I think are really powerful. One thing that I really like, and I think this this happens in The Force Awakens, is that there's that beautiful moment on Starkiller Base at the end where things look really bad and really tense, and Kylo Ren is ready to call Anakin slash Luke's lightsaber to his hand and take over, right? To feel like he feel like this is what he's been looking for all the whole time. Luke's lightsaber, the finding the location of Luke Skywalker, his mentor, who he's angry with and frustrated and you know we could certainly dissect Kylo Ren Ben Solo for a long time and we will so in this beautiful moment she he holds up his hand but the lights whisks past him with incredible force and lands in Ray's hands to me that's the King Arthur moment right whoever is worthy can pull Excalibur actually it's not Excalibur Excalibur's from later but he can pull the sword from the stone Ray, in essence, pulls it out of the stone. And I think that's great. And I'm not going to take credit for that. One of my students gave me that idea years ago. So she is the is the the, per, the person who saw that way. But think about that. Ray pulls the sword, the lightsaber hilt, out of the sky. She's the one who's worthy to continue the legacy of the Skywalker saga, which, by the way, is why I love it that she takes on the adopted name of Skywalker. That To me, that's the only way that should end. Because... The Skywalker is blood, but it's also a legacy. And she's carrying on that legacy. It's very powerful. We've got some great conversations over here. So let's check it out. So Obi-Mike says, how do you think the Legends novels and canon novels affect the story of Star Wars? Mike, great question. I think much like King Arthur, it is this wonderful pool of ideas and a creative vision by lots of talented people that Filoni and all the other creators at Lucasfilm can able can put their hand into and pull out and take ideas and mold and modify them. That's what the stories do. You take like legends and myths and other aspects of story and you pull them in 
to your own story. That to me, that's great. It's like this melting pot of all this information that they can use to to bolster the to the canon itself. Oh, look at all these! Oh, I love it. Keep on bringing them. Eric says, "What's what's great about myth is that it comes from all sorts of points of view. Exactly, different interpretations, different beliefs. That's why I love that we have coffee with Kenobi or Skywalking through Neverland or full of Sith or insert Star Wars podcast here that." They take different points of view to express how the stories move them. That's a powerful aspect of literature as well. Karen says, the conflicts are so epic. I love how the modern Star Wars stories really focus in on the impact of this huge conflict on ordinary people in the galaxy. And I think that is the key part, Karen. So thank you for pointing that out. The ordinary part's the big part. If everybody's Superman, if everybody's Perseus, if everybody's Hercules, if everyone's Luke Skywalker, it's great. It's inspiring, but the important thing about Luke is that he started out from a very, very ordinary place on a desert planet as a moisture farmer. That is important because he starts out being larger than life. And then while we can admire that, it's it's more difficult to sort of take grasp of that because we're just ordinary people. Being ordinary and doing extraordinary things is what we are and what we can be. But if you just start out as Superman or Hercules, it's harder to relate to. So that's a key part. Uh, like Thor, exactly. Uh, Karen says the moments have me shake and cry in the theater. I meant so much. Exactly. They, they move us. Pathos, the emotional appeal, what, what resonates inside of us. Uh, I guess that's what was set up at the end of rise. Who will find the sabers in the sand possibly. And, and I'm, I think they'll do that. And that's a, to me, that's a really easy trope to go to, but they probably will. And that could be done. Well, it could also be a gimmick. I have faith that's that Lucasfilm will find a way to make that powerful. But to be honest, I hope they keep that in the sand for a long time and let other stories flourish and grow. Because I think those sabers deserve a rest too. When they do return to it, if it's done well, it could be magic. The High Republic is sort of like King Arthur. It is. And even down to the designs of the lightsabers themselves and their hilts, there are a few of the Jedi from the High Republic series that have that. That's very exciting to me as a literature teacher. Obi Mike says, in the novel of Rise of Skywalker, it explicitly states that Luke and Leia gave Rey the name of Skywalker. It's a good point. It's a good point. They understand too that being a Skywalker is a legacy, but it's not just about blood. It's about who you are, who you fight for, how you carry yourself and what you stand for. It's about standing up to adversity and challenges. And that that's an important aspect of this. So I think I have basically hit the key points that I want to hit. We've got a couple of spots open. So I am more than happy to bring people in and chat with you and see what you think about Star Wars, the literature language, bring up your points of view, throw some questions my way and let's chat. Come on in. I'm going to have a sip of water. Come on, Din, Jared, Eric, Mike, let's do this. Here we go. Okay. I need you to be the first brother. <laughs> What's up? I'm so, I'm so shy. Um, yeah. Me yeah, too. I, I I don't like being in the public at all. Uh, that's why I chose rock music. So yeah, <laughs> you instigated a good question uh, good. Uh, with me there a few moments ago. You said yeah. um, myth is myth lasts a millennia. So then immediately I thought, and I don't have the answer, um, is what will Star Wars need to do or has it already done enough to last a millennia? 
Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. In fact, my students talked about the same thing on Friday. So the challenge with this is to weigh myth the way we do with root mythology. It's not, it won't work very well because is it, by the way, is there a lot of feedback when I'm talking to you, the speaker? No feedback. No. Sometimes it happens for you, but not the audience, I've noticed. Oh, it is. There is a little bit of feedback. Okay. Well, you know what? I've got no, not, not for me, not there. for us. It, it, sometimes it happens on, on the, the, sh the panelist's end for some reason. Okay. okay. How about now? I turn down my, my volume now. Is that better? Oh, this is Dennis from your side. Well, I don't hear any, but. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to do our best. All right. So when you're looking at Star Wars from a, the, the idea that myth lasts for millennia, it's unfair to, to weigh it like that now because that's impossible, right? I mean, after a millennia, none of us are going to be here, but the stories and legacy will live on. And to me, Star Wars, the reason it is proving itself to be mythological in its nature is because we're still talking about it 43 years later. I mean, it's fair to say that, look, I love Harry Potter. I teach Harry Potter. I think Harry Potter is literature. But isn't that the same kind of staying power that Star Wars does? And that's not a pejorative. That's just the reality of how stories work. Some stuff is able to reinvent itself or still stay in the popular cultural zeitgeist. And Star Wars does that. I mean, Marvel does that too. DC is sort of at an interesting sort of a crossroads because depending on how they continue their stories and their characters will depend on how they stay in the public consciousness. Myth stays in there all the time. Lord of the Rings, I think does because it's got such a specific following that's so strong, but it hasn't had a lot of new stories for a while. Of course, it's going to change. But I, to me, that's where you get the difference. How you, I guess you can only weigh it because whenever I say what's mythology students, I say it's Zeus, it's Hercules, it's Greek mythology. That is an aspect, but that's not, that's not, Greek mythology is not synonymous with myth, but I think a lot of people take that. So we filter it through the lens of how the stories affect us when they were created and are they still speaking to us today? That makes modern myth. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, drop one thing before I drop out. Yeah, yeah. Is that it just occurred to me that maybe uh, it's, it's, Star Wars is obviously great literature because the poetry of it all is just so beautiful. Um, and it's so compelling. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we watch the movies 500 times because they're so gorgeous to look at. But I think that that's really selling um, uh, something very powerful that I'm not sure is in other franchises so much, which is that it's it almost does what George, it really does what George set out to do, which was to sort of fill a vacuum on of uh, inspiring of, uh, a belief in something greater that George felt was a void in pop culture. So maybe one way that Star Wars will last a millennia is that it keeps giving people faith in, in something greater. And if the movies and shows keep doing it so beautifully, there's no reason to see why it wouldn't do that for a thousand years. So yeah, I'm going to drop out now and uh, let someone else. talk. Hey, thanks so hey, much. Thanks man. So much man. Thank you. Thank you. This has been really fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to echo about what Den talked about here. Basically, yes, it's it's the stories and what they're told. Again, a big key aspect of literature is not only what the story is, but more important, how the story is told. Is it told well? 
Is it told effectively? Does it capture your mind, your heart, your soul? Does it speak to different generations of people? Does it inspire lots of different things from people? That's a key, key aspect of it. And that's why Star Wars, I think, moves us. I mean, the special effects were used in groundbreaking ways and still are, so much so that Lucasfilm is, of course, a key aspect of a lot of technological marvels because they advance the story. I was once told by a, a film scholar that I really trust, if you want to see if a story is effective, take away the special effects and still tell the same story. Is it effective? Does Star Wars work that way? I think so. I mean, look at Ian Desher's William Shakespeare's Star Wars series. He tells the stories through language, and he tells the stories through character. There's no special effects in William Shakespeare's Star Wars. There's zero. But the characters are there. The ideas are there. The themes are there. Those are the things that inspire us. Those are the things that move us. Those are the things that keep us coming back for more. And yes, I see a lot of people talking about Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is, is incredible. Lord of the Rings is literature. Have you seen how it's written? Another great aspect of J.R.R. Tolkien is that The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and The Cimmerillion are all written very differently by the same person. But the way the story is told and the way these characters inspire us speaks to the literary nature of that. And, and you know, Tolkien is, I love George Lucas, but Tolkien was was a professor of linguistics, of language. He's he's another level because of his background and his education. Now, Lucas is wonderful, and he is he is a he's a genius in terms of character and world building and being a visionary. But they're different aspects. They're both powerful in different ways. Just like I was telling my son today, like you can still be really really good at something, but you don't have to be the same as someone else. You can still be good on your own merit. I think that's powerful. Jennifer says. That's because Lord of the Rings uses many of the same motifs. For example, there comes a point when the mentor needs to step away for the hero to complete on their journey. Exactly. Uh, the death of the mentor can sometimes be the separation of the mentor as well. And when they diverge like that, a great example is in The Hobbit. Gandalf is there, and then he's gone for chapters, for lots and lots of chapters. He's Why does he leave, though? We always talk about why is he leaving all the time? He leaves all the time because the characters have to learn to figure it out on their own. If Gandalf's there all the time, there is no adversity, there's no challenge. Bilbo does not become Bilbo. Let's see, my dog is agreeing with everything we're talking about. So cool. Zoe, maybe you can make a contribution to make a wish. That would be nice. We'll see if that happens. Zoe, just click on the blue diamond. Okay. Thank you. Anyway, so that's that's a key aspect of the, the mentor has to be gone, has to be away so the hero can face things and grow up. It's just like as I tell my students, like when you go to college, you're on your own. I mean, you might live at home. And that's fine. I did that for a while. But when you eventually leave home, you have to figure out how to navigate the unknown world based on what you've learned as a person and take risks and take challenges. But and realize that you're mortal, that you can fail, that things can happen to you. But that is okay. That's part of life. That's how you grow. So the mentors have to leave. That is a great place to put in a break for the Force Fest conversation I had about Star Wars, the literary language. So let's go ahead and have some Star Wars news and bring in Mr. Tom Gross. And now, let's see what's brewing in the Star Wars universe this week. Wait, this is interesting. You found something. I'm about to let everyone in on the secret. It's time for some Star Wars news. Tom Gross, of course, joins us. Tom, what do you have for us this week? 
Oh, well, Entertainment Weekly gave us our first look at a few still shots from season two of The Mandalorian in its fall TV preview issue. The issue will come with two cover variants. The first is a cover of the child standing next to what looks like the boot of Jin Djarin and a desolate black lava looking Badlands environment behind. Cover two is a picture of The Mandalorian with a new side bag that holds the child or baby Yoda, if you will. The background appears to display smoke from a recent explosion. Pretty striking covers. Now, there are several other images that we'll talk about, but I did want to point out that the accompanying article, which is quite informative, by the way, um, goes on to describe, through the words of producer-writer John Favreau and executive producer Dave Filoni, why The Mandalorian Season 1 saw so much success. Favreau states that he believes the low expectation of television versus movies helped to give the show an edge, but he said that they benefited from the smallness of their world. Another reason that Favreau attributes to, uh, to, attributes the success to is Dave Filoni and the vastness of Filoni's experience with the Clone Wars. While Favreau does most of the writing, Filoni keeps him on track as the one who knows what works best for Star Wars. Then Filoni adds to the success meter by saying that they didn't overthink things. Filoni says that an audience tends to enjoy a story by sticking to the tropes and characters they understand, like a gunslinger in the Old West. He said it was clear, it was a clear story and a fun adventure, even if you've never seen anything like Star Wars before. Now, I'll say that whatever the formula was that they had, let's hope that they keep that essence going into season two, seeing the images brings all those feelings of the Mandalorian right back. One of the things I really like about that quote is that, I mean, obviously coffee with Kenobi over seven years now has been analyzing star Wars and breaking it down as have a lot of other wonderful podcasts and websites and YouTube channels and all that good stuff. But what is basically being said here is we're not overthinking it. We're giving you the same kind of tropes and the classics that doesn't mean it's being dumbed down, but it also doesn't mean we're using Hamlet and Shakespeare here. We're telling a good story. These stories have been told for thousands of years with certain archetypes and tropes and particular styles of story, storytelling and character, and they work and they work well. And the more you can take those particular lenses and filter Star Wars through them, the better. So I think it's really, really cool. What about you? Yeah, I do too. And you know, there's there's a piece in this article that I really really resonated with me and that was, you know, we got to the point with the the saga, the Skywalker saga, where each movie just every movie just felt like it got heavier and heavier because these characters, there was so much Oh, uh, collateral to the characters and, and the choices they made and the things that they did that when we get to the Man Mandalorian, we've got these new characters. And as you said, you know, we've got the gunslinger and we've got the smugglers and we've got those fun pieces of Star Wars that we've sort of fallen in love with in the past with like Boba Fett or Jango Fett and here and then in the Clone Wars with, you know, with a sort of a storyline of the of the Mandalorians. And so here these characters are making decisions that we don't really see yet fitting into the big story. So it's easy to take bite-sized pieces of it as we go along, but boy, did they throw us a curveball in that opening uh, episode of, of, uh, of Mandalorian season one where, you know, the child is revealed and man, my brain just made so many 
connections that they were reaching out, trying to grasp onto something. And so it's what drove me to wanting to know more and more about this. And I look forward to season two for that very reason to see where is this going? And then of course we get the other tendrils of the black sword and Moff Gideon. And, you know, we know what a Moff is through Grand Moff Tarkin. And so you know, what's that going to look like post empire? And so there's, there's a lot of weight that's starting to come into these, but it's, they kept it simple. And I, I, I do think that that is something that uh, has been uh, something that I've been attracted to regarding the storyline. And I also think that sometimes with great myths and epics, when you're selling a lot of books or, or making a lot of different films, sometimes it can go the opposite way where they're, they're overly populating stories mm. with, with too much exposition or too much, connectivity and and i still maintain that's one of the problems with the rise of skywalker i feel like they've they tried to put too much and make it a little more comp- convoluted than it needed to be really what we want is a good story with characters that we love and we want to see growth and we want to see challenge and we want to see change but you don't have to oversaturate and that's one of the things that i love that the mandalorian is doing so far right yeah, and so I love this. I, I really, I was really attracted to that in this article from Entertainment uh, Weekly, and I highly recommend uh, folks to check that out because there's a lot of other great stuff um, inside this. Some peeks uh, into uh, from some of the actors as to things that we might be able to expect from uh, the Mandalorian season two. But what did you think about the pictures? Do you have a favorite or one that really stood out to you? Honestly, what I like about the pictures, I like seeing the Mandalorian on that that speeder bike slash a Kenan Jarrus bike. I think that was, that was probably my favorite part. And I also like that the pictures don't really show much of anything. Right. So that's kind of what I like. I, I would, yeah. I would, uh, uh, echo what a lot of our friends have said on, on social media. I'd be more than okay with no trailer of any kind because it, it's not like they need more hype for this. I would just I like to kind of s- see it all the, for the first time when I actually get to watch the shows. I'm so glad you said that because I've been feeling that way too. I mean, I, I guess I assumed we were going to get a, a trailer at Celebration. I just kind of figured that would that would happen. Yeah, but undoubtedly. At this, at this point, wh- why? We don't need that. No, we really don't. <laughs> Save it for put it on Disney Plus once they release the season. Let us see what we would have seen. But uh, yeah, I'm with you. These and I, I totally agree. And I'm glad you said that about the pictures that they don't really tell us much of anything other than we get a look at. At some of our, you know, our favorite characters that are in new, you know, just new places, new looks. Um, I think that's that's great. And I, I also think because we were very fortunate that they were able to film everything before the, the coronavirus started. Because now we actually get to see season two in a timely fashion because who knows when they'll get to film season three. So I kind of hope, and this is just me sort of spitballing that they only they kind of sparse these out instead of giving us eight straight or however many they're going to do and maybe give a little hiatus so we can milk season two a little bit longer because who knows when we'll see the beginning of season three. Yeah, that is true. I guess I guess I had I had not assumed that we'd get a season three. But uh I mean I, I think they the success, said that but, already. Yeah. I think they did Oh did they? Okay. I, I, mean, so. I'm, I must have missed that. My holocron memory must have uh glitched on it that could one. Be. It could be. It might be a crack. Like yes, Kylo Ren's lightsaber. Oh no! Does that mean I'm Sith? <laughs> no, no. Kylo Ren isn't a Sith either, so don't worry. Can I tell you a, a little story? I, I'm looking at the picture of Gina Carano um, from the Entertainment Weekly uh, film shoot, and I'm just looking at her here. And so I listened to her interview on the when Tops did their Digi, uh, Digicon 
a couple weeks ago. I listened to her interview on that Sunday afternoon, and here was something that just just added to the toughness of her. She said that she was raised in Las Vegas, and she would, as a teenager, hit the streets with their friends, and they would fight. <laughs> And she said she would. They would just rumble in the streets, and so she was a street rumbler as a teenager, and that's what led her into MMA fighting, and then that got her off of the streets. And her grandfather had some involvement in all of that, and that's what led her into the into the uh, into the gym and into MMA fighting. Wow! And so now I'm sitting here looking at this picture, and I totally see a street ball, a street brawler, and that just adds to the character and the toughness of her character as a rebel jump trooper. Uh, and I just I don't know I just really I, I appreciate her background and how well it fits into the characterization of uh, of uh, now. I'm thinking of her actual name, and I'm forgetting her character. Yeah, Cara Dune. Yeah, because you so really just, you, you legitimately believe that she can hold her own, uh, just because that's that's the kind of presence that she has on the screen, which is super super cool, super inspiring. Absolutely, and I know that we had when when they were doing casting. I remember talking about her because she didn't really have uh, too much of a acting background. I know she has an acting background before this, but it was kind of like her her mo was. Kind of tough girl, kind of uh, uh, characters, and this this takes it to a whole new level, in my opinion. I don't know. I just think I think that's uh, I just think it's really cool. After hearing her share that story during that Digicon, and then of course, you know, how could you how can you go wrong with the child? All these pictures of the child as I'm flipping back and forth on these, I just the expressions that come out of this 16 inch (laughs) puppet just blow me away. And I know that's what we all love about. Uh, uh, the child, um, but I but can't wait to get my one-one scale uh, sideshow uh-huh. child. I'm so I got an email this week showing the production uh, what the final model looks like and what the box is going to look like. Oh, that that cool. said that so you can see what the asset is going to be transported to you in. So <laughs> boy, is that going to have a place of honor in my studio? My goodness. Speaking of which, so we bought the the plush uh, child from Target. Yeah, and do you, would you believe he has a prominent spot on our uh, fireplace? <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's that's, he sits that's in our living room. Done right. <laughs> oh, I'm so appreciative to my wife for putting up with that. But it, he's so perfect sitting in there, or she, or he, yeah. um, is so perfect sitting in our living room. So, anyway, but I think the the photos the photos look great. They don't really tell us much other than they just whet our appetite for a new season of Mandalorian just a couple months away. Can't wait. Indeed. And of course, we will be doing just like we did with season one. We'll have a weekly show where we go into great depth on each episode. Oh, looking forward to that. Well, if you've ever wondered what it would be like to be a part of the Resistance or the First Order, you have a chance in a unique, quirky, and fun kind of way in the world of The Sims. Launching this week on PC, Mac, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One, The Sims 4 Star Wars Journey to Batuu pack will take players to the Black Spire Outpost where they can create their own Sim story. The Journey to Batuu centers around the Star Wars-themed land from Ogus Cantina to numerous Easter eggs like a Diagana that pops up in a drinking fountain, <laughs> with a main story and numerous side missions that include familiar faces like uh, Vi Moradi, Ray, Kylo Ren. Be ready for the relationships you create 
and be on the lookout to join the fun by jumping into a dance party with all the Sims style. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like that was less of a news story and more of an advertisement. (laughs) That was great. I'm sure the people at the Sims appreciate you saying that. No, that I, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm a, I'm a, as Drew Taylor says, I'm addicted to galaxy's edge. So this is just another thing to help you experience this at home. I, I haven't played the Sims Gosh, this is probably since computers were invented. But I, I'd be tempted to pick up The Sims, was it The Sims 4? Sims 4, yep. And get this pack just so I can experience that too. Not as uh, overly eager to do a dance party per se in front of, you know, the Millennium Falcon at Docking Bay 5. But, you know, it sounds pretty pretty fun, I think. What about you? I, you know, I think for people who enjoy this, you know, I'm sure they're, I'm sure we have our crossover fans. They love Star Wars. They love The Sims. This is going to be, you know, paradise for them. I have to, I have to confess, I've never played The Sims. I've seen, you know, I've seen, I, I know what The Sims are and I'm aware of like the quirkiness and the, the real life virtual, you know, living of that. And so, I mean, you know, if, if there was something that was going to draw me to this, uh, to this franchise, something like this would be it. Um, and I actually think it would be kind of fun. Now I've never been to uh, the Black Star Outpost, of course. Um, but I think, you know, a dance party breaking out by the Falcon might be kind of fun. Can you just imagine Chewbacca coming down the, uh, the ramp and uh, maybe bring a few pork friends with them and that's right. And bust, bust in a move, you Don't know, just to, stand there, uh, bust a move. Else. That's right. Well, yeah. I, mean, no, I think it sounds fun. It is fun. When I used to play The Sims, uh, every once in a while, like you're, you have to make sure to feed your characters and take care of them. They have to rest. And I just thought, you know what? I can barely take care of myself. I was in college at the time. But no, I think it's right. it's a fun idea. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's one more it's one more level of the way that, you know, we're able to immerse ourselves into the Star Wars story. Yes, absolutely. Which they nothing wrong with that. We of course are big fans of anything that helps us to experience that galaxy far, far away, a little bit closer to our home. So Tom, thank you so much for the latest Star Wars news. Of course. This is Vanessa Marshall, and you're listening to Coffee with Kenobi. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can drive change or build an empire. Because old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. This new year, we need a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's still ours to win. Start different at GoDaddy.com. Looking to catch up on the latest Star Wars books but can't find the time? Try listening to them on audio, featuring sound effects, top-notch narrators, and music directly from the movies. Star Wars audiobooks are the definitive listening experience. Discover Thrawn's origins within the Chiss Ascendancy in the first title in an epic new Star Wars trilogy, beginning with Star Wars Thrawn Ascendancy. Written by best-selling author Timothy Zahn and read by Mark Thompson, Thrawn Ascendancy is on sale now. And if you're looking for a full cast audio drama, don't forget to try Dr. Afra, read by an all-star cast, including Mark Thompson, Catherine Tabor, Jonathan Davis, and more. Dr. Afra is on sale now. 
Visit penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash Star Wars to listen to clips and find your next listen or buy now wherever audiobooks are sold. MEI and Mouse Fan Travel is your one-stop shop for your vacation needs and your plans to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, or the cruise lines. Travel looks much different now than it did a couple of months ago. And with the opening of Walt Disney World and soon, hopefully, the opening of Disneyland, you need a place to go where you can trust and they will help you figure out and navigate all the different circumstances and guidelines that Disney has put out for you. And I can say that we had our vacation modified, and as soon as dates were announced, MEI contacted me directly to help me reschedule, which is exactly what I was hoping to do. So if you are interested in rescheduling your vacation or want to try to plan a Walt Disney World Disneyland vacation or anywhere else you want to go on the planet, be sure to contact MEI and Miles Fan Travel at www.coffeewithkenobi.com slash Travel. Their signature service and expert advice will help you maximize your vacation time and dollar, and they will help you figure out all the different changes and modifications going on at the Disney theme parks. They are amazing, and I can tell you, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, the peace of mind that Becky Mencken and the crew at MEI and Miles Fan Travel have given me is invaluable. If you're interested at all, Again, go to www.coffeewithkenobi.com slash mousefantravel. Jared says, is there a line between myth and pop culture? That is a fantastic question. I do think there's a, bit, a massive line. Pop culture is really more about, you know, things that are popular or trendy or inspire us. You know, Twister is a part of pop culture, but it's not literature. Uh, Happy Meals are part of popular culture. Uh, albums, music, I mean, just things that are popular and they're in the culture. The myth by itself means it's something that lasts out of Saturday morning after Friday night out. Yeah. Uh, myths uh, have purpose. Really, a myth, to be really technical and liter- literary, a myth, uh, a lot of mythological, um, like, how do I, say I guess just scholars will tell you that myth is a myth unless it's explaining creation, unless explaining how something works or how something is made. Myth uh, early on was science. Like I'm talking thousands of years ago, of course. But then, of course, people started to realize, gosh, you know, these ancient Greek myths that we like, that we respect, they're crazy. They're ridiculous. How can that be science? You know, and then we start to learn other things and Galileo and other people come in and and, and fill in the gaps and give us the real knowledge because myths tell a story, but they explain things. They explain how it works, how we work, how we as a culture reinvent ourselves, reevaluate how we treat people, how you look at the, the, the story of Oedipus, a very, very popular story, but it, in it, besides the obviously tricky, yucky, disgusting nature of what happens with Oedipus, before that, we see how elders are valued, how wisdom is valued, how disabilities are valued during this time period. You know, um, the blind prophet Tiresias comes in and tells Oedipus, look, I know what's going to happen. I know it's going to happen to you, but I can't tell you because you're not ready for it. And it's just going to make you mad and it's dangerous. But Oedipus insults him and berates him and attacks him and and is very t- is nasty to him. He doesn't respect the fact that Tiresias, the blind prophet, is much smarter than him because while he is blind, as far as what he can see, his internal, wis- his internal wisdom is so much beyond Oedipus and anyone else because he's not blinded by his vision. 
He trusts other things. He uses other senses that makes him stronger and smarter. That's a great mythological thing. And I feel like that's a great lesson that we learn from Yoda too. Yoda is diminutive and he can be silly. And he certainly doesn't seem like someone who could be this great Jedi warrior. But as we know, at the end of Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, and then of course in the Clone Wars itself, Yoda is the last person you want to face if you're having a lightsaber duel because he'll destroy you. He subverts the traditional narrative of what a hero looks like. That's a mythological construct too. Uh, Eric says, wasn't Mentor the person who looked after Achilles after his father died or am I up? So Mentor took care of Odysseus's son when Odysseus was looking, or when um, Telemachus, who was Odysseus's son, uh, was looking for Odysseus and Mentor helped to guide him. And Mentor's actually... Athena, the goddess of wisdom, but she takes on the disguise of of mentor himself, uh, you know, a wise old man. And you look at the stereotypes in there, right? Maybe this man won't follow someone who's a powerful woman. Maybe he has to follow some wise old man, some archetypal wise person. Athena is really smart and she knows that. And eventually we start to realize that no, Athena is who you should have been listening to all along. The most powerful the most helpful person in the Odyssey is Athena, who's a woman who's strong, and that's cool too. And we can certainly go into the to the archetype of the powerful characters that happen to be female in the world of Star Wars too, that fill those literary values too. Would anyone else like to jump? We got about fifteen minutes. Uh, jump in, chat with me about literature, ask me a question. Happy to talk with anyone. I am I am more than ready and excited. I mean, again, this is why. I mean, honestly. I didn't plan anything for this because I knew that when I saw all of you and we started talking about literature, it was going to happen. Well, look at this. What's up, man? Hi, Dan. Hi, everybody. Oh, so cool. We, Jared and I have been friends and chatted for all that. I've never actually chatted face to face. This is exciting. If I knew I was going to be on here, I'd be in the basement with a good Star Wars background instead of the living room. My question was... Um, to what extent does ma- some type of magic have to be in myth? And maybe that's because I'm coming from the Greek sort of perspective or Norse that you have a, a magic component. And so then comparing that to Star Wars, and I've debated this with other people, does Star Wars always have to have the force in it to work? And then obviously Solo might be the example of, well, we had Darth Maul at the very end, spoiler, but uh, you know, does, does Star Wars as myth have to have the force running through it to work. I love it, Jerry. Well, thank you for jumping in on that. So to me, uh, actually someone, I was playing Dungeons and Dragons a couple months ago and someone texted me and sort of asked me the exact same question, which is pretty cool. So that maybe it was you, Jared, in disguise. I don't know. But the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek, for example, is science fiction versus science fantasy. Star Wars incorporates the force. That would be their version of magic. The force is certainly complicated. It's, it's spiritual, it's physical, it's created by life. But that is how that is sort of the essence of what Lucas was going for when he when he introduced magic into this because he knew that had to be a part of the myth. Does magic have to be in myth? You know, that's a great question, and I'm going to research that because I've never heard it put that way before. When you think about it, there are magical elements, but the magical elements are there to explain different parts of the story that can't be explained by real science. So you throw a fantasy element into that, like magic, like the force, and you move the story in a different way. It, that's what separates it from just a piece of fiction. 
it, it's, it's mythological because it takes on sort of a larger than life overview or and takes in different aspects of something that we hadn't considered that aren't possible by, by real means. But if you can make that magic work for the story to talk about something real, I mean, one of the things I like about the force is that it teaches us, and I'm a Christian. So to me, it's like believing in something that you can't see, that you don't know anything about, but trusting there is a plan, there's a vision for you, but you still get to make those choices. To me, that's one of the effective aspects of what the force does for story itself. Does that help? That was great. I, something I've always sort of wondered is, um, do you have? Does Star Wars always have to have a force component to it? I mean, obviously, we thought the Mandalorian was going to be a series about bounty hunters and scoundrels, and Episode One turned the you know expectations on it. Actually, going to be about. So Solo is a great example of that. And look at Star Wars Resistance, right? It didn't really use the Force at all. And, you know, different people liked it more than other people did, I suppose. But to me, Star Wars speaks to me more when there's some sort of Force element to it. I like that aspect of Star Wars much more. I'm much more compelled by that. But does it have to have it? I guess, I guess history is going to reveal that, isn't it? Because the more stories I think that are successful... If they don't have the force in them, they're still successful. Okay, I think you could argue that while the child certainly is a part of the force, the compelling thing about that story isn't the force. It's the connection this man has to this child and in this child softening him and still keeping him true to who he is and sort of reinventing himself and taking on this father role. So I, I actually hope that the Mandalorian continues to go that route without relying too heavily on the force because then you're going to have your answer. Bounce out and let somebody else jump in. All right. Great to see you, buddy. Really great to see you. Anyone else? We've got about 10 minutes. 10 minutes to continue to raise money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation for the greater Los Angeles area. Love to have you on to chat right now. Great question from Jared. Great question from Din. Jennifer wants to know, there are, there are people who believe that there's another myth, the heroine's journey. Do you, do you have thoughts on that and how it might be applied to Star Wars? Jennifer, I do very much believe in that. There are different. There are four different uh, sort of literary scholars who have looked at the hero's journey and sort of reinvented it for different through a different lens. And I'm not as well versed in that as I am the other ones, but I want to be, and I will certainly research it and put it into a future coffee with Kenobi, which you can find every single Thursday wherever you listen to podcasts: iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, all those places. Our website: coffeewithkenobi.com. But for sure, Jennifer, those are very legitimate, very very powerful. Uh, Mike wants to know, should, couldn't magic just be something that can now be explained by science? Certainly. And uh, if you read the, um, oh my gosh, I can't think of it. The, the Dresden files, uh, he talks about magic as science that people just don't really know about yet either. So that's, that's a great thing. I love that. That's really, really cool. Look at all the people showing up. I love it. So good to see everybody. Trisha Barr did panel on the heroine's journey at Geek Con. Yes, she did. And actually she's the greatest person to talk to about the heroine's journey. She's done much more reading and research on it than I have. And She's definitely the, the one to do about that. Uh, Joel, um, hopefully, it's, I appreciate having you on here, brother, and, and hopefully you can grab this. It'll be on Coffee with Kenobi's feed and on video on YouTube, our YouTube channel as well. But a pleasure having you on. Jared says, Sarah Kuhn was on Tarkin's Top Shelf recently and spoke 
about the importance of female leads or heroes because they bring a different perspective than a male. They do. And they have to because they, they have different things that they face, uh, just like different race or creed or culture. There's different aspects. And I think that's so important that we continue to have heroes that don't look like me, some white guy, right? We need female heroes. We need black. We need Asian. We need all different kinds of heroes to show us the different aspects of what it means to be human, because that's the only way we're going to get to understand each other and make peace because these differences are great, beautiful things, beautiful things. Uh, Mike again wants to know about uh, the hero, heroine's journey, different from a hero's journey. They have different things that they go through that, that he or she will go through different stages, uh, different ways of sort of impacting their respective worlds that again, I, I need to do more research on and I definitely want to, so I would certainly look to Trisha Barr for that. She is certainly an expert in that area, but I think it's a fascinating study. Uh, don't, doesn't the journey transcend all criteria? Hmm. That's sort of a, a chicken versus the egg sort of a thing to, to me. To me it is. Uh, because the journey is important, but it's really it's how you take that journey, what steps you take in that journey. I mean, if, if the mentor dies instantly, or you lose your mentor instantly before you even take your first step, well, you're probably not even going to take that step. It's very possible. So I think the criteria are pretty important. Personally, I'm still able to identify Luke, even though I am not white. And that's great. That means it's it's a fully fleshed out hero that has key aspects that we respond to. I love that, Mike. And, I, and I'm glad. I think that's super important. I identify with T'Challa. I'm not a black man. But what he does and... What, what Chadwick Boseman did, you know, God rest his soul. That's that's how you tell a good story. You put, you, uh, what I've, I've always said about teaching literature that I love about teaching literature is that it's the only subject, and I'm very biased, so please forgive me, but it's literature is the only subject where you have to be empathetic. You have to walk in the shoes of the person you're reading about, the person you're writing about, the, pe- the person that you are viewing. That is that is a great thing, a great aspect of literature. It promotes empathy. So if you've got a story told well from a different point of view, whether the hero is black, white, green, blue, orange, purple, whatever, gay, straight, wherever they are, you have to look at things from their perspective. That makes you smarter. That makes you a more well-rounded individual. That makes you able to understand people. And that is what we should be striving for. That's what I try to emphasize in my students. Look, I want you to be empathetic. I want you to be, I want you to stand up when there's sexism. I want you to stand up when there's racism. I want you to be a proponent of making this world a better place. Literature is a lens. It's a tool to help make that happen. It's not the only way, but it's a very, very powerful way. And Mike, I would love to have you in class, my friend. Love it. I have love to have all of you as my students. As Jennifer says, fishing gives us empathy. It puts us inside the minds of other people, gives us the gift of seeing through their eyes. Exactly. And I know that Radbury said that. So thank you, Jennifer. I'm going to absolutely use that. Absolutely. Literature was my escape. Mine too. It taught me things. Does anyone else want to grab a thought? We only got about five minutes left, but if you want to jump in, now is the time. Now, and John, thank you. There's the five-minute warning right there. I knew we'd have plenty to talk about. So grab a spot if you want to jump in. I'd love to pick your brain for sure. Listening to Coffee with Kenobi, you are with Dan Z, the podcast you're looking for. This is. (laughs) 
That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to have a cup of coffee with me and for helping to spread the word about our Star Wars family we've got here at Coffee with Kenobi. Be sure to tune in Monday nights at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook Live at www.coffeewithkenobi.com slash live or www.facebook.com slash coffeewithkenobi and have a cup of coffee, tea, or any beverage of your choosing with me as we continue the conversation. To join us in the CWK Cafe, which is our Facebook group, and share your Star Wars thoughts, comments, reviews, and opinions in a family-friendly, spoiler-free place that is also drama-free, go to www.coffeewithkenobi.com slash community and be part of the conversation, talk about this week's show, or just talk about some Star Wars. It is a lot of fun and you'll make some new friends as well as catch up with longtime friends along the way. I also want to thank all of the new and longtime members of the CWK Alliance and let you know how much I appreciate your help and encouragement. A big thank you to our CWK Alliance members, Mary Perdue, Terrence King, Smooth Rivera, Dan Caperso, Aaron, Jim Tallman, J.C. Poe, Ed Kimoto, Greg McLaughlin, Robert Avila, Dustin Mills, Yancey Evans, Chelsea Sansbury, Connie Shee, Tyler Pampa, Hannah, Alex Procasio, Ian Thompson, David Nicely, Simbot Deptodarian, Christine Turk, Kurt McKellen, Ross Halliburton, Dan Ream, Colby Mead, Alexander Moylan, Frank Mulder, Blake Weaver, Jim Capron, Chris Metz, LJ Souter, Aaron Harris, Chris Gavarka, Jeff Ellis, Daz Davies, Susan Gray, Thea Selby, Christian Dale, Brian McKinney, Jason Hall, Jared Cantor, Eric Struthers, Mark Suter, Angela Sauce, and Dennis Keithley. If you want to join the CWK Alliance, be sure to go to www coffeewithkenobi.com slash CWK Alliance and sign up today. Not only will you help out Coffee with Kenobi, but you also get access to CWK Forward, the exclusive weekly podcast not heard anywhere else. It's a great way to support and help out the show and 10% of your monthly contributions go directly to the St. Jude Children's Hospital to support the incredibly important work they are doing to help these brave children and their families. Plus, Contributors at the CWK All-Star level can watch a video podcast of CWK Pour Over, hosted by me, Tom Gross, and Corey Club. Feel free to reach out if you have any questions. In addition to being part of the community on Facebook, please don't forget to visit our website at www.coffeewithkenobi.com for Star Wars news, announcements, reviews, live video, and so much more. If you have a question for me, or just want to share your thoughts on the air, please feel free to reach out to me at danz at coffeewithkenobi.com and I'll share them on the show. You can also connect with me on Twitter, at MrZer, M-R-Z-E-H-R. There are also a lot of ways to connect with me and Coffee with Kenobi on social media. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash coffeewithkenobi, and check us out on Pinterest. You can find me twice a month on the podcast Looking at Lucasfilm, part of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network, and you can find my writing on CWK's website, as well as starwars.com, where I'm an official blogger there, as well as on IGN, where I contribute articles on Star Wars, as well as other popular culture topics. And if you're considering starting a podcast or a blog, let me know how I can help you get started and help you make your creative vision a reality. Be sure to check out danzymedia.com where you can get the process started. I'm also available to come to your school, conference, business, or organization to talk about how to tap into your strengths and help you bring out your very best. 
you can take that first step into a larger world. Thanks as always to our CWK sponsors, especially MEI and Mouse Fan Travel, our travel partner and your one-stop shop for all things Walt Disney World, Disneyland, the Disney Cruise Lines, or anywhere on the planet. Please go to www.coffeewithkenobi.com slash mousefantravel to book your magical vacation and help support Coffee with Kenobi in the process. And don't forget to pre-order my brand new book that I wrote alongside Pablo Hidalgo and Cole Horton, the Star Wars book published by DK. Be sure to pre-order your copy of the Star Wars book today. I can't wait to share it with each and every one of you. If you like the show, please tweet out that you're listening, share it on Facebook, or invite your friends and family to tune in and share a cup of coffee with us. And if the force is especially with you, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show on iTunes or Google Podcasts. Every review makes a huge difference and helps to spread the word. Go to iTunes and search Coffee with Kenobi and you'll see the show there. My circle of friends has grown so much because of this podcast and each and every one of you, and it means so much to me that we have such a wonderful Star Wars community. Thank you all so much for all you do. Mike, it's been a pleasure having you. It's been a pleasure having all of you. And if you like what you're listening to every Monday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, you can find me on Facebook Live, coffeewithkenobi.com slash live, or go to Coffee with Kenobi's Facebook page, and you will see us there. Mary, I will see you on Monday. I'm looking forward to it. We are, of course, making raising money for the Make-A-Wish Greater LA Foundation. Your, don- your donation will directly fund wishes for critically ill children. You can donate here with no matching donation or go to Get Vokey right here on this blue diamond that will match 33% of your donations made through get Vokey. click on that blue diamond to get started there it is and mike the the link is right there so again monday night eight o'clock p.m central standard time on facebook live we have top fives every week i give you the category a week in advance you've got time to do it you're a part of the conversation it's super interactive uh maybe even more interactive than this i'll let you be the judge of that but it's there you have coffee with kenobi each and every week Wherever you find podcasts, we've been very fortunate. We've been going on for seven years strong. No signs of slowing down. I certainly love doing it. I love bringing Star Wars conversation to each and every one of you. Your contributions to here through Forest Fest to raise uh, awareness and to raise money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation is what we're here about. Keeping a positive voice in the community. Keep on having differences of opinion and keep on discussing them in intelligent, kind, respectful ways. We learn more from each other when we listen more than we talk. And I'm so grateful to be able to bring you this topic, this panel, and to to share the Star Wars fandom with you. Again, be sure to go to Coffee with Kenobi each and every week. Wherever you find podcasts, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Pinterest. We have a YouTube channel that's continually growing. Our Instagram is continually growing. It only grows because of your kindness, your generosity. And if you really want to jump in you can go to our patreon page cwk the cwk alliance and help us out there as well that's going to do it for me thank you so much everybody don't forget you've got a little bit of time to donate to the make a wish foundation right there at that blue diamond or, or if you go to another panel a big thank you to richard and sarah from skywalking through neverland for making this happen and for giving us that outlet because of course i wanted to be at celebration with every one of you it can't happen because of the world situation, but that doesn't mean we can't stop spreading the celebration and love of Star Wars in our hearts and with our friends. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, everyone, so much. That's going to do it for me. Din, thank you. Jared, good to talk with you as well. Again, see you tomorrow night at Facebook Live and continue to celebrate the Force Fest in this wonderful community. Thank you so much, everybody. See you later.
looking to catch up on the latest Star Wars books? Featuring sound effects and music directly from the movies, Star Wars audiobooks are the definitive listening experience. Discover Thrawn's origins within the Chiss Ascendancy in the first title in an epic new Star Wars trilogy, beginning with Star Wars Thrawn Ascendancy. Written by best-selling author Timothy Zahn and read by Mark Thompson, Star Wars Thrawn Ascendancy is on sale now wherever audiobooks are sold. This podcast is not endorsed by the Walt Disney Company or Lucasfilm Limited. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. Star Wars, all names, sounds, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Disney and their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Coffee with Kenobi unless otherwise indicated. This is the podcast you're looking for. There's no one here.